Welcome everybody to Shaping Vaping, which is our weekly conversation about the latest in vaping policy. Uh, we're very excited to have our guest with us today. Uh, first, we have our co-founder at AVM, Shar Owen. Shar has helped hundreds of businesses submit their PMTAs to the FDA and contributed to the industry in dozens of other ways, big and small. We also have uh, Skip Murray, who we're still getting connected to audio. So we're going to go ahead and just get started, and hopefully she'll hop on here in a minute. Um, but our first topic that we have to discuss today is a new study from the NYU Grossman School of Medicine. Um, that study found that misinformation about the safety of vaping spread by the likes of CDC, FDA, and the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids crowd have created a hostile environment for academic research into vaping. But it's not just public perception. FDA regulations prohibit research on vaping as a smoking cessation tool. And what we're going to talk about is if academics are barred and afraid to do research on vaping as a tobacco harm reduction tool, how does that trickle down to affect policymakers and consumers? Um, and I think we'll be throwing a tweet up in the space here to highlight that study for anybody that hasn't had a chance to read it. Um, but we wanted to go ahead and, and talk about that. So, Shar, I wanted to check in with you on this study. If we have this environment where academics are, are afraid to do this type of research, what kind of effect do you think that has uh, with policymakers? Um, I've been to, myself, countless uh, committee hearings, state and local levels, and, and, and the misinformation, you, you can almost just, it's palatable. Um, you can't tell them any different because they've got this study that was misinformation. And there's nothing to counter that. And even if I might have something to counter it, uh, they're not really willing to listen on the in in the policy end of it. So it, it it trickles down from there and goes all the way down to my consumer, where I've had uh, stories of family members leaving packs of cigarettes out because they feel that vaping is more dangerous than cigarettes so it, it's detrimental yeah you know we're in this environment right now where the majority public opinion feels that that vaping nicotine is either as harmful or more harmful than smoking cigarettes and now on the other end of this we've got researchers that are in an environment where looking into this topic is almost taboo as if it somehow might be bad for their careers or you know bad for getting funding or even the ability to get these types of studies approved is difficult at times um, and so you know clearly it's having an effect on on consumer perceptions of this when you have so many studies out there that that bogus junk research that's been, um, you know, retracted and, you know, found out to be done, you know, faulty according to bad standards. So how are consumers supposed to have accurate information? How are policymakers supposed to have accurate information, especially on, on a subject, you know, related to health and health outcomes, you know, an area where we really do want to follow the science. We're following the science has become such a mantra in our country over the last couple of years with the pandemic. But over here in the space of tobacco harm reduction, even being able to do the science is a problem, much less the ability to follow that science um and, i see we've got and, and we're having families here, so. and we're oh. having families actually push for people to go back to combustibles which is um and it started with the valley and there's just been no science to counter it yeah, so that's interesting. You say we've got families. So what, what have you seen, you know, down in your shops on, on this real person to person level? How's this shown up in conversations with your customers? 
we have people coming that have been that have fallen off and that were vaping and then they've gone back to cigarettes or people that say um you know it it's it's upsetting because I've got my mom or my dad leaving packs of cigarettes around for me to so that it'll tempt me back towards smoking and that's that's the hardest one of them all Oh, we, I see. We just got Skip connected to audio. Hey, Skip, welcome to the space. Sorry about the technical difficulties there. Maybe we have Skip here. Anyway, um, we'll come back to Skip in just a second. Um, so, Char, you were saying. Yeah, um, and, and we the hardest ones to hear are that their loved ones are actually leaving packs of cigarettes out for them. Hey, I think we've got Skip. I'm here. <laughs> I didn't know I had to go into settings and turn on my microphone. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. We're happy to have you. Um, Skip, I don't know if you caught the conversation so far, but we were talking about um, the NYU research that came out last week, um, you know, basically discussing this environment where researchers are really discouraged from looking into vaping, e-cigarettes, any kind of tobacco harm reduction as a viable tool to quit smoking. Yes, I think that's a huge issue. I remember several months ago, reading a tweet um i'm not going to say his name because he deleted the tweet but he wanted to go into harm reduction research and questioned if he was committing career suicide by making that choice right and that's problematic because who out there is going to want to risk career suicide you know as it's being perceived right now to look into to, to look into this topic and so where are our customers supposed to get honest truthful and accurate scientific information that's a good question i think right now we get it from england yes i think there's a lot of uh polarization and pressure to like choose sides instead of just being unbiased and do real research and see what they can learn about this so that we can help more people. We have the same thing. Skip, how often did you have people during a valley um, having their family members push them back to smoking? Oh, that was awful. So many regular customers. Over a 30% drop in sales in the first couple months of the valley outbreak. It was heartbreaking to see people that hadn't smoked in several years go back to smoking because they were afraid vaping was going to kill them. And I'm still seeing news articles uh, that, that clearly do not define that it was not e-liquid, you know, doing that. So I still have customers that their family is not quite happy with them about choosing to vape instead of smoking. I had a gentleman come into the shop and demand to be told the truth about vaping. His eight-year-old daughter had learned about vaping in school and came home crying 
and begged her daddy to go back to smoking. Because in school, she learned that vaping is so bad it would kill her daddy. Yeah, that... That brings up an interesting point, Skip, because, you know, obviously there there's important education that's going on with youth, you know, educating them not to vape, not to pick up nicotine or any of these types of products. But you're absolutely right. The, you know, that sort of messaging, the way that that's been approached has been handled in such a way now that that I, that's not the first kind of story I've heard like that, where, where children are, are hearing certain things and then they've got parents that have quit smoking with these products and you know on the one hand they've got a parent who's been able to quit smoking and on the other hand they're getting this information that you know maybe their parents use of vaping products is actually bad for their parents it's creating a lot of fear so that's that's kind of an interesting point so how do, how do we properly educate youth not to pick up these products without going over into that realm of of, of misinformation and fear-mongering right because for every child that you know we're worried about picking up a vape there's a there's a parent out there that desperately needs to stop smoking so that they can be around to raise their children absolutely what i wouldn't give for my dad to uh to have had that option amen so many in my family we need balance we don't need to lie to our kids kids are smart they're all internet savvy um they're gonna figure out when they're being told the truth and when they're not being told the truth. Um, I think we need to do a better job of emphasizing who these products are for. Um, we're always going to have a few kids that unfortunately are going to experiment and they're not experimenting with just vaping. They're experimenting with drugs They're experimenting with alcohol, with sex. That's a, a part of growing up. We can, do our very best to teach our kids to make good choices and to keep the lines of communication open so our kids can talk to us. Um, but to lie to our children and then have them come home and repeat those lies and have their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles keep smoking, um, that's not helping those kids. You know, I just retweeted a blog of mine from a year ago from when my son had his first heart attack and my granddaughter was five. You know, he was airlifted in a helicopter. And as that helicopter flew over, here's this little girl crying, going, you know, please, daddy, please don't die. Please come home. I love you. We got to remember that children need parents who don't smoke. And most of those kids will then grow up and not smoke. So we need more balance in our messaging to our kids. Yeah, it feels like in the country we have we have gone a different direction. We've gone from the direction of no combustibles to no nicotine. Yeah. Um, and that's just the opposite direction of what we need to go to. Um, we, we really don't need combustibles in our lives. We need to be a combustible free. Uh, country, and I don't think we're going to accomplish that um, without innovative technology. 
No, and, and certainly we're not going to accomplish that when you've got, you know, a major new paper saying that academic researchers are literally afraid to do this type of research, you know, and I look to I look to folks like Dr. Cliff Douglas, um, that SRNT 15 letter, you know, basically where there are some of these tobacco control, very prominent voices now starting to say, you know, we need to tone down how we're approaching this subject. You know, the tobacco control has taken this so far in, in the fear mongering and the misinformation, we've got to tone that down and so that we can have this open, honest conversation about the merits and benefits of alternative forms of nicotine consumption. Um, you know, and, and that's where I draw my hope, but it seems like for all of those voices, like Cliff Douglas, you know, there are a hundred more voices out there doing this sort of bunk Stanton glance type research that ends up retracted, um, you know, ends up being called back, you know, some of these papers. Um, and so it's it's problematic because on the one side, we've got very bad research that's easily discredited. And on the other side, you know, we've got a potential world of, of really informative and positive research that could be done, yet our researchers are, are now afraid to do it. Um, so what's, what's our path forward here in you guys' opinion? Well, even though it's called back, um, once the genie's out of the bottle, a politician will get it, and it's very hard to get it out of their brain. Um, so they they have to start looking at nicotine in, in a new way, right? We have to start educating them about nicotine itself. And, and, I, and I love what um, Aaron did with A Billion Lives and... And, you know, and you don't know nicotine. There's so much scientifically that it's good and valid for that it's just been so demonized. I think we just need to get more of the word out about what it can do, what the, what it's used for, and and what it's not. I mean, it's it's absolutely asinine when you stop and think about how what they say uh, nicotine exposure does, and we've got millions and millions of people that were exposed. I agree, and I also think that um, corrections and retractions in these journals aren't handled correctly. correctly. They're not quick enough. Sometimes they're not done at all, or there's a separate paper with the update, but not the original work. And then when a study is retracted, why don't we hear about it in the media? We heard about the original study with the um, information that wasn't correct, but it doesn't make the six o'clock news when it's retracted. So the public never gets an opportunity to be educated to hear to it. And then I've started doing something about that. I've started writing the letters to the editor, writing a letter to the editor every time I see misinformation on this. Um, so I think if we all, if, if you find a study or if you find something that is incorrect and you know is correct contact them you know don't share it on facebook sit down and write a letter take some action on it and if we're all taking action eventually they're going to realize that that's not something they can do that's a good idea and if they don't then what do we do that's where our PR firm <laughs> comes into play. <laughs> I've often wondered, and I don't know if this has an impact um, or not, but all, you know, newspapers, the, the TV news, they all have companies that advertise their products. 
And I've often wondered if, if the media won't fix mistakes, what would happen if a whole mess of people wrote to the companies that advertise in that paper or on that news broadcast and said they were going to refuse to use those products because of the misinformation? I wonder if advertisers would apply pressure. Yeah, you know, I like you guys' sort of grassroots ideas on, on how to take some of these things on. And, you know, certainly something has to change because this level of, of misinformation is, is really criminal at this point. And I think it's about time that the public knows the truth because smokers deserve to have accurate information. You know, in the, in the decade or so that I've been involved in this, what I've always seen is the most um, reliable place people get their information right now is smokers sharing with other smokers what actually helped them, right? And that seems to be the, the only real way that people are getting information is when they talk to other people about their real life experiences, because certainly everyone who's used a vape to quit smoking has an amazing story to tell of, of how it's helped them and all of the improvements they've seen. And it's just, it's, it's really does seem that too bad that the only place that you can get that information is, you know, if you know somebody that's used the products, but it, at least people do tend to share information that way, you know, on a person-to-person -person basis. I wanted to um, shift gears now and talk a little bit about the nomination of Robert Califf to head the FDA, which that nomination continues to draw fire from vaping advocates. It's drawing fire from, from other political quarters, uh, from other interested groups as well. But, you know, in our world here, you know, several vape advocates have sounded the alarm that they have concerns about this nomination of Dr. Califf. And I wanted to ask you two, in your opinion, um, what is the impact of on everyday Americans when anti-vaping um, spokespeople like Califf are given the reins of powerful regulatory bodies. You want to go first, Char? Did we lose her? Well, possibly. Skip, we'll start with you. Do you have concerns about the Califf nomination? What are you looking at there? I do. I have fears. Um, and I'm trying to be open minded. I'm not very successful so far. You know, I look at people in tobacco control. Um, you mentioned the SRNT 15. You know, many people in that field were anti um, e cigarettes a few years ago and have learned enough to change their minds. So, I hope Caleb is also paying attention to the science, um, but knowing his background does make me feel concerned. Um, I'd rather see somebody more neutral, um, not overly pro or con, but more in the middle so we could have um, a more balanced pathway forward where we work on preventing youth use and work on helping more people quit smoking. So yeah, I wasn't excited when he was nominated. 
No, you know, I, I wasn't either. You know, I've heard from a lot of people that I respect that are hopeful that perhaps, you know, Caleb's stance has changed a little bit. But, you know, those 2019 op-eds that he put out, you know, really um, carrying a lot of the CTFK and Bloomberg points on, on flavors and vaping are a concern, especially when we're going into an environment where, you know, FDA's ability to move through these applications and keep products on the market, um, you know, seems to be halted, right, or at least extremely slowed down. You know, they say they've, they've taken all these actions on applications, but so far their actions consist of denying tons of, of the small business products and then, you know, approving a product that, that is not meaningfully used in the marketplace. It's, it's not a large portion of market share at this point. There are very few people, I would say, that, that are using that product to, you know, none to a significant degree. And so we've, you know, Califf is, you know, if he is confirmed, you know, he's going to be walking in to a really dysfunctional FDA. And certainly there are challenges in other departments at FDA, but for our purposes, you know, CTFK is, is quite dysfunctional at this point. And so I've got a share of concerns about, you know, who is going to be the right person that can come in there and really turn that situation around to make sure that, that smokers are still able to access these products, that authorizations are happening, and that the science is being followed. And, you know, I don't know if I feel very confident in, in Califf's ability to make this situation in CTF or in CTP functional at this point. Shar, I see we've got you back. Did you want to share your thoughts on the Califf nomination? Well, I think um, I think we have a fight with him. I think we didn't really have much movement before um, as far as flavor bans. And so I, I don't feel like we're going to have uh, much going against us, but I don't think we're going to get much traction to improve what we already have with him. And I think we're going to have to fight that battle very, very, very hard. Um, especially when I look at my customers, I've got 80% of my customers when they were surveyed that said if flavors weren't available, they would um, all go directly to black market. And that's dangerous. So, you know, I, I, I think we're going to have a, a tough time gaining traction. We've already lost some traction. We need to get that traction back. Skip, I wonder if you would mind sharing with our listeners how some of these FDA actions to date affected your business and your customers. I went out of business December 31st. Um, it was devastating. I uh, get a, a, at a loss for words, actually. Um, when they MDO'd every product on my shelf, um, you know, every liquid that I carried, um, my only option was to go just tobacco. And I only had one, two, four regular customers that vape tobacco flavors. And a couple of years ago, I experimented with an unflavored product and um, none of my customers liked it. And when I let them know what was going on with flavors, um, a few went back to smoking. Um, a few started making their own liquids and a few started ordering them from China. I don't know how they're getting them shipped to them with the pack act, but they were getting product or they went 
to like disposables from the gas station. Um, I could have went with products made with synthetic nicotine and gotten by for a while, but I, I have no way of knowing what the FDA is going to do. So do my sales had already dropped drastically thanks to Valley and COVID and misinformation. Do I run the risk of spending thousands of dollars on a product that using a loophole and maybe it'll take the FDA 10 years to act on it and I'd be fine. But what if I spent the thousands of dollars and in two weeks they find a way to make those products go through a process like the PMTA? I'm in a little town. I'm very low volume. There's just no way I could take that risk. So I made the decision to lock the doors and give it up. Well, thank, thank you for sharing about that with us. And um, we're all very sorry to hear that because you are a staple in our community. I know that you have a heart and a passion for tobacco harm reduction. And it's so sad to see, you know, what this FDA action is, is doing to people who have fought the longest and the hardest to help smokers in their communities. Um, and and it's I, I know it's a tremendous loss to your local community and to your customers because there are no good options when these products get taken off the market. There there are no good options, right? Do you turn to synthetic? Do you turn to the gray market? You know, where where do you turn? Because right now, you know, we've we've got a situation where 63% of adults use flavored products and, the, and those products are becoming harder and harder to find. And in our vape shops, you know, we know it's, it's up in over 90% of our sales in vape shops are flavored products. And so, you know, where do all of these millions and millions of people go when these products aren't available any longer? I don't mind say they're going to go to the black market. 92% of my customers use flavors and my average age is 44. So, you know, if the FDA wants to come in and do the and, and do the math and look at mine, I'm pretty much an average vape shop, I would think. Yeah, so there's so there's so much writing on on whoever becomes the FDA commissioner and then whoever is appointed to replace Mitch Seller over at the Center for Tobacco Products, because with all of the MDOs to date, um, we've seen so many people go out of business. We've seen a lot of people, you know, willing to try alternatives like synthetic, but for so many like yourself, Skip, the damage has already been done and it's, it's far too late. We've got now, I think, I forget the exact number, but a fraction of what's what we started with in that PMTA process, a small fraction of products actually left. And, you know, there's an open question of what's left. Is that even enough to sustain all of these retail and distribution channels that we've built up over the last decade? Um, and, and for what's left, what is going to be their fate? We've seen a pause in FDA actions as far as any authorizations or denials. There hasn't been a lot of movement there since all of the litigation started. But, but you know, I have my concerns, you know, are the people that are even left in this process going to be treated fairly, especially when it comes to the topic of flavors? And I don't I don't think there's anybody that can really give a fair answer to that right now. And what and about the a, legacy of this administration? So far, the legacy, their legacy is Smoking is on the rise for the first time in many, many years. 
Yeah, we did see some data last year, you know, some some increased uh, cigarette sales. You know, there's there's some, uh, you know, that to me is a little bit questionable because I think there are some conflicting numbers out around that. But, you know, certainly if this trend continues, I don't think anybody would be surprised to see smoking rates climb. Mm-mm. I certainly don't. So, Shar, you know, I, as you know, Skip shared her story of, of, you know, unfortunately having to close her business that, that she poured so many years of, of love and effort into. What are you thinking about when it comes to your business? You own a small business based out of Texas. What, what are you thinking about when it comes to your own business decisions looking ahead at, at what's happening with FDA? You know, um, the best that I can, I'll support my customers the best that I can. I will keep my doors open as long as I possibly can. <clears throat> there is, um, you know, it will be my last ditch effort. And I know it was skips and I know it's heartbreaking. Um, and, and I see it every day on our feeds. Um, someone else closing, someone else selling out just because they can't, uh, they can't do it. So, um, for me currently, uh, we went, uh, herbal we've gone a, a lot of different ways to help our customers um, and we will continue to do so for as long as I possibly can but like Skip said sales are down misinformation is out there uh, you know some pe- a lot of people think it's better to smoke than it is to vape there's not really you know we fight what we can in our own little city and we try to keep those people good that's what we do every day Skip, you've been keeping uh, a Twitter thread running for, I think it's been going on for a couple of years now, of all of the business closures that, that you run across, that you hear about. Um, how many how many tweets are in that thread now at this point? Oh, good question. I'm guessing hundreds. Uh yeah, it's so it's so sad every time that thread pops up on my Twitter feed because you know that's another another business that that was there in their community converting smokers over to harm reduction products that now no longer exists. You know, not only that, but that was years of someone's, you know, dream and their effort that went into building that business and that's now been effectively taken away from them by a misguided government. Yeah. And there's so much benefit for the vape shop over just a gas station because we support them. It, you know, we congratulate them on every victory. Every time they come in and tell us, it sounds like, you know, people doing the wave in here. Every time someone comes in and says, you know, 30 days without smoking, you know, we all scream and yell and congratulate them. That's the support that you don't get from walking into a gas station and just picking up a product. I have over 300 tweets in that thread, and those are only businesses that I saw announced either on Twitter or Facebook that they were closing. I recently read an article by Mark Gunther, and in his article, he had stated in the last few years, one out of four vape shops have closed. And it's not just vape shops. Um liquid manufacturers have gone out of business you know distribution um and even the do-it-yourself market the other day i saw an announcement for a company that 
uh, sell supplies to the do-it-yourselfers. They, they're closing. This is their last month in business. Yeah, it's it's really sad, you know, some of that data in Mark Gunther's article, you know, that's heartbreaking because every one of those businesses was out there converting smokers, was out there, you know, getting people onto these products that we know are 95% safer and, and those places are gone. You know, I see now, you know, occasionally I, I see some of my friends and people I know in the industry opening up new stores. And I think in this day and age, that's a very courageous thing to do. And it's almost an act of advocacy, just continuing to, to try to create new businesses where smokers can come in and get information and get supplies. Um, it's, it's crazy that it's, it's, you know, become this environment where we're running your business as an act of bravery every day. <laughs> it's sad. It really is. Um, as hopefully, you know, hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully when Caleb comes in, you know, this process can be fixed and some authorizations can start coming out at a meaningful level. But I am not incredibly optimistic about that at this point, but we'll keep an eye on it and see. Hopefully we'll all be pleasantly surprised. I hope so, too, because when you look at the impact that these little bitty shops, little bitty shops like mine, I mean, I'm, I'm small, very small. Um I have, when we stopped counting about a year ago, we had transitioned over 7,000 people off of combustibles. I live in a town of 25,000 people. Wow. That's a huge impact. That's a tremendous impact. Good job. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the best things that I can say that I've done in my life is there are 7,000 people out there that you know, are no longer, and, and these guys are ones we counted where they have to come to me after, you know, 30 days and say, hey, still not smoking, haven't had a cigarette, you know, and that's a huge impact in a tiny little town, and this is what vape shops are doing. Absolutely, and you know, Skip, I hope that that's something that you can hold on to, you know, despite all of the sadness and heartbreak of having to close your business. I hope you can hold on to those lives that you changed and all of the people that you helped because I, the FDA can never take that away from you, the good that you were able to do. It's just too bad they took away the ability to continue doing that because there were definitely a lot more lives you could have transformed in your business. Well done, lady. Well done. Thank you. Um, yes, I will always be a, very proud of what my son and I accomplished. Um, I'm still kind of in the grieving process, so I'm still struggling with the failure part of it over the success, but I'm getting there. I wouldn't call it a failure. I would call it a sabotage. <coughs> I like how you think. <laughs> yes, Skip, anybody that knows you, I don't think any of them would categorize your efforts as a failure at all. Um, and, you know, for, for me, I will say I'm extremely grateful that you're still out there working every day to advocate for tobacco harm reduction and to really bring people together, because that's one of the things I've seen you do um, that, that's been so incredible to watch is, you know, you are someone who really does bring people together to support this common cause. And I, I think you're great at it. And I'm so glad that you're still there doing that. You didn't let them steal that from you. You're still out there being a very powerful advocate. Thank you. It's uh, an honor to be in the trenches with you guys. You know, 
um, every day, every day it crosses my mind that 1,300 people in my country are going to die today from smoking. And I've watched people die from smoking, and it's not pleasant. Um, and I just don't see how any of us can give up. I mean, it's bleak, and it's hard, and it's so far not turning out the way we dreamed it would, um, but we can't give up. I mean, you just can't look at somebody and say, go ahead and die. You got to try to help them. That's just being a good person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to turn to a different topic now um, on the FDA note related. Um, the FDA has rebranded its Tobacco Education Resource Lab, but a cursory look at it indicates that they're keeping their vaping misinformation. One poster in the FDA's library says about quitting smoking, quote, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Um, what does this tell us about FDA's cold turkey or bust approach to smoking cessation? That it's failed for I don't know how long. And it will continue to fail. Decades. Decades. Of you know. And it's like, it's like you know, they, they're, they're just gripping the, gripping the whole method and saying, you know, no, this is it. This will work. Well, it hasn't worked before. So, you know, what's the definition of stupidity? Making the same mistake more than once. <laughs> Make new mistakes. If it's right. not working, try something different. You know, we're all people that used to smoke. Um, I'm a wee bit older than you guys by, you know, a while. Um, I tried quitting smoking so many times that I was no longer willing to even try to quit anymore. Yes, you want to encourage people to try, but there has to be a limit because after a while, you just can't face failing again. And how great is it, Skip, that in our shops, we have accidental quitters all the time. I'm an accidental quitter. The, yeah. the only reason I took up vaping is because my son opened a shop and he hated me sneaking out the back door for a cigarette and stinking <laughs> up the shop. So he gave me a vape and said, Mom... If you're going to be here, you have to vape here. And four months later, I wasn't yeah. smoking anymore. I did. I wasn't trying to quit. I believed I couldn't quit. And how crazy is the system that is saying try, try, and try? They know this method fails, but yet they're still on it. Um, they get their paychecks from user fees for people smoking. I don't know how you can't draw a correlation line there. That's a very good point, Shard. Certainly um, would seem to be a conflict, right? You've got this agency that is completely funded by the sales of cigarettes uh, being in charge of authorizing alternatives to cigarettes. And, and so they're definitely um, in a position that some might call a conflict. And, and, and the conflict goes a whole lot deeper than that. Um, many of the politicians own stocks in companies that own uh, stocks in the media. So, you know, they're, they're putting out this, this message and they're, you know, and, and, and the message just continues forward. It goes all the way down from the FDA and it goes all the way out through the politicians. It goes all the way out through the media. And, and, and there's proof that it, it just flows that direction. Right. 
And the only thing that is benefiting, the only people that are benefiting from it are those that are getting paid for people to continue to do that. Hmm. You know, this, this whole try, try, try again messaging, why not? If you've tried and you haven't right. succeeded, try a vape. Right. You know? Try something different. I, I think everyone should have the, that right to try vaping free of this fear mongering misinformation that tells them of like, oh, yeah, this, you know, some people have done this, but we still don't know much about it. So, you know, keep trying these these failed methods that haven't worked. Um, you know, it's ridiculous. I was talking to someone about this the other day. You know, I frequently share, um, you know, in my story, in my quit smoking story, when I was 19, I had cancer. I had to do chemotherapy, radiation. Um, I had a mass in my chest the size of two fists. Um, right now, today, 30% uh, of my lungs are scar tissue from all of the treatment that I had to go through for my cancer. But despite everything I knew, you know, I knew that, you know, my chest was full of cancer. I knew that my lungs were full of scar tissue from the treatment, all of that. I smoked for 10 years after I had cancer, just because all of these attempts to, to quit failed, right? Mm -hmm. And then when when, when I tried vaping, it was as easy as pie, right? It tasted good. It smelled good. I felt better. You know, it was, it took me about a month uh, just to transition entirely to vaping, but there was no struggle involved in that. There was no difficulty. Um, it was quite natural. It didn't take a lot of effort. Whereas, you know, when you're trying to quit cold turkey or with patches or any of that, you know, it's a struggle by the hour. Sometimes it's a struggle by the minute not to smoke. And so when we've got something that's helped millions of people that were never able to quit before, why wouldn't our authorities be encouraging that? Why wouldn't they be singing that to the hilt to get as many people onto that system as they could and instead it's just this quit or die mentality you know if you can't use the patch if you can't use these medications you know if you can't just quit cold turkey um, we don't have any other options for you when the reality is there's this wildly effective option and yet it's just not being shared and what about the people like my husband who told me in no uncertain terms, I'll never quit smoking. I like to smoke. Um, he's been vaping now for 10 years. So what about those people? They're just not going to quit. They don't want well, it. Well, some people would say that he's just an anecdote, Char, that that's not reliable information. Those stories, yeah. unfortunately, get dismissed. They, they are out there, though. I mean, I begged, I pleaded, and I knew because I'd lost my dad. And so, of course, I know I'm losing my husband with every cigarette that he smokes. And so there are plenty of us wives out there who are incredibly grateful to this technology. Incredibly. So I wanted to turn now to the media lapdog segment of the space. Uh, for those of you who listen regularly, you'll know this is where we talk about media coverage from the previous week that uh, was biased, carrying the water for the Bloomberg-affiliated groups and spreading misinformation. Um, so I wanted to talk about a CNN piece last week that covered a new study out of UC San Diego. The study claimed that e-cigarettes were less effective than other nicotine replacement aids. But CNN clearly didn't look at the data close enough, and they omitted a key fact. The study authors counted anyone who took one puff, one puff of a cigarette in the past 12 months as a failed quitter. 
Um, obviously, that's an egregious omission from CNN's piece. Do you do either of you think that health reporters are simply not willing to look deeper into these claims? Or do you think that they are actively trying to promote this anti-vaping narrative? Oh, I think it's active. I think that go ahead. I don't think it's accidental. I don't think you can look at the data and make it accidental. It it it's got to be a narrative that they're pushing. I think there's such a hurry to churn out information that there's not enough time to do true investigative reporting. Once a story breaks, everybody's on it. They're all repeating the same information. Um, I think it's an issue that these reporters don't really know a lot about these products. Um, and they've heard the misinformation so many times, they just believe it to be true. I don't think it even crosses their minds to look past the narrative and see if there's more to the story. They turn But there are there are studies out there that they could cite that are positive yeah. and they don't. But they don't even see them. You're you're they turn to who they think are experts and they trust those experts. So if you talk to Matt Myers or somebody from the Lung Association and they tell you these products are bad, why would you question it? They're supposed to be the expert. It sucks. I think, I think the media leans. <laughs> I think the me I think the media leans. Um I, I see a lot of positive there are there are a lot of there's two that I know of news outlets that do print positive things on vaping and um, and then there are five or six or seven that don't, that they're always negative. Um, and I found a Harvard study that actually proves that those, uh, those outlets, those media outlets actually lean. They get their information from specific think tanks and they quote those think tanks. So I, well, I, I don't. I think they lean on purpose. Well, at least as far as CNN is, is concerned, you know, I would certainly say this is becoming a habit um, because this study that we're talking about was conducted by the same authors who promoted the widely debunked piece in October on relapse among e-cigarette users. Um, CNN also covered that story. Um, and again, that study used the same one puff abstinence standard to determine who relapsed among many other egregious problems. Um, the study also found, which CNN failed to report, that those who vaped were more likely to keep trying after relapse than those who didn't vape, so are more likely to become smoke-free after the study. But CNN never corrected that original reporting and continues to promote those same researchers, and they wonder why people can't trust science reporting. Um, you know, again, it's it's we're living in this era where, you know, people are looking to follow the science on many important issues, but they can't find accurate science to follow on this topic. Um, and, you know, certainly for CNN, I, I don't think it is an honest mistake at this point It has become a pattern. They're looking at these same researchers who it's known at this point that their research has major, major flaws. And, and yet they continue to keep reporting on these studies as if they're factual information. It's just so egregious at this point. Um, I, I I might believe it when we were early on in this technology. I might believe it when there wasn't as much research. And in in the research that I read while we were doing the PMTAs, um, 
These are very well known. These are studies that the FDA paid for themselves. So that that actually say that it's beneficial. So how they can, it's just, it, it can't be accidental at this point. So what do we do about it? Well, you know, um, Shar referenced earlier, you know, letters to the editors, and I think certainly that that is something that that does need to be done. I think these media outlets need to be held to account when they are spreading misinformation, you know, certainly, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt of, of reaching out and letting them know, like, hey, there are problems with the study. There's an alternative perspective on this. You know, here are some areas where you might look to in your future coverage, that sort of thing. But after a while, you know, when you reach out and you engage with these editors, you know, they're willfully ignoring alternative points of view. They're willfully ignoring alternative sets of facts. So, you know, what what do you do at that point? It's it's a systemic problem, and I don't think there is an easy solution right now. We have calls to action, though, for politicians routinely with vaping. I mean, we've become very good at it. Um, we probably should branch out a little bit and have calls to action um, about media. That's an interesting thought. It is a very interesting thought. You know, there are so many, so many fields of battle we have to fight on just, just for the right to, to stay smoke free. It's insane. You know, we've got to deal with the government and the regulators and the media and the researchers, you know, public opinion, all of these things. It shouldn't be so hard uh, to help people quit smoking, but here we are. Um, this, the next piece I want to cover is a story that Politico did on synthetic nicotine. Um, that piece came out last week, and since then we've had a better opportunity to really dig into some of the the flaws. Have, have you two had time to look into that story? I wanted to know, in your view, what that Politico piece got wrong on synthetic nicotine. Um, well, I think a lot of the blame, I think they need to understand that if the FDA had worked with, with us to create a market that protected youth and allowed the adults uh, to off-ramp from combustibles, we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have uh, a possible black market. Um, when I did my own PMTA, I did generic names, I did generic labels, um, all so that that way we could uh, come to a better place and not need synthetic. That's where we should be. So, you know, the industry is only doing what the industry needs to do to survive and to help people stop smoking, which is ironically what the FDA should be doing is helping people stop smoking. I agree. I, I found that article to be very biased, um, very focused on youth and flavors. And there's a line in the article that said something like, um, the longer the FDA does nothing, the more likely the courts are going to start being sympathetic, much more sympathetic for the manufacturers than they are for the public health or for the FDA. Um, it didn't take into account that many manufacturers in the U.S., those owners used to smoke and were able to quit thanks to vaping and want to help other people succeed at quitting smoking. Um it made me question, if the courts rule in favor of those manufacturers, people who care about helping people quit smoking, 
how can that be seen as not in the best interest of the public health? Because they're looking at both sides of the case, right, Skip? I mean, they're looking at what we've done, what we've tried to do to work within the FDA's rules and, and, and got squashed. But a judge is right. going to look at both sides. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, I think honest reporting on the issue would, would look at the fact that this goes back, you know, long before even the 2016 deeming rule, you know, the FDA had full knowledge of, of what the system was likely to lead to. Right. You know, you, you can't put the genie back in a bottle after a certain point. To my mind, it, you know, it would have been more productive to focus on creating a system that, you know, not just these behemoth companies could comply with, but but a, a system that was equitable to small and medium sized companies that were following, you know, high manufacturing standards that were following, you know, sound marketing practices that, that had uh, safeguards around the way that their products were distributed you know, some basic testing on, on quality of ingredients, that sort of thing. But FDA didn't want to take that track. They wanted to go down this track of finding this fatal flaw, right, that, that only a few select companies could complete and then wiping everyone else on the mar off the market because they didn't have the resources to really review the number of applications that came in. But, but instead of reporting on that, Politico very purposefully chose to talk about anti-youth vaping organizations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which I found highly offensive because I don't think anybody involved in tobacco harm reduction could be considered anti-youth, right? No, nobody, want, nobody here is against the youth. Nobody here wants youth using these products, but we do want to make sure that adult smokers can use these products. And, you know, for all of our efforts, you know, we, we get called anti-youth vaping groups in Politico. Very offensive, well, and, extremely offensive. I have never and if you a compliance look, check ever. Exactly. I have been sworn at because I refused to sell to somebody without an ID. I once had somebody call the cops on me because I refused to sell to them <laughs> because they stood outside my window and a teenager handed them cash and they came in to buy liquid. I know they're straw buying. <laughs> It's just ridiculous to think that we're anti-youth because we're trying to save their mom and dad's lives by helping them quit smoking. Ridiculous. And the disparity between um, one type of market and this market is crazy. When I look at food manufacturing, which I'm part of, and I look at what the FDA, what the resources the FDA has for me as a small manufacturer in food. Um, it's crazy. You, you, can, you pretty much just get a handout. But then I look at small manufacturers for, for a technology that can save people's lives, and I get nothing. Yeah. It would have been much easier if there would have been um, ingredient standards manufacturing standards and marketing standards. These are the rules. If you want to manufacture these products, this is what you need to do. Um, I wish I could wave a magic wand and we never would have been deemed a tobacco product, but instead would have been given a new unique category that's somewhere halfway between tobacco and medical. You know, that would have been 
more favorable to living the American dream and having your own business and what more rewarding way to have a business than to help people and make the world a better place while you're feeding your family and putting a roof over their head. Absolutely. Could not agree more with that, Skip. Um, we're about out of time for today, but I wanted to give you both an opportunity to share a final thought before we uh, wrap up the space for today. Go, Shar. All right. So my final thought is all you shops, um, all you family members out there, um, let's not give up. I don't care what you're doing or how hard it is. And I know it's hard. Trust me, I've been I've been doing this battle. But our mothers, our fathers, our daughters, our sons, they're all dependent on the information that we put out there. So if you see a news article piece that is full of bad information, do your own call to action. Uh, find the editor's email. Find the information that you need and, and correct them. Message. You know what? It can't hurt. Um, it can't hurt you. Thanks for that, Shar. Skip, would you like to share your final thought? Sure. Um, many years ago, when my son first opened his shop, um, we purposely did not carry a cotton candy flavored e-liquid because of all the pushback that, you know, such things are marketing to kids. And an 80-year-old woman walked in the door and was quite upset with us for not having cotton candy and demanded we order it for her. She grew up in poverty and uh, she couldn't have a treat like that when she was young. And she said, I'm going to have it now any way I want it, anytime I want it. And I want it in my e-liquid. And since then, we carried it. And she came in the very last day I was open. She's in her late 80s now. She's still not smoking. And she cried. Um, she bought all the cotton candy I had and all the nicotine strengths I had to get her by for a long time. And any regulatory process that makes a woman that old cry needs to be fought because her life is just as valuable as any 16-year-old kid that's breaking the law and vaping. And she should have every right to be able to use whatever she wants to use so she never goes back to smoking. She's a great grandmother. She's been a valuable member to society and a loved member of her family. And for people like her, we just can't give up, ever. Here, here, Skip. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for keeping that in perspective for us. And thank you both for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. And um, we'll be back next week, same time, same place, Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. We hope you all will join us again. Mm -hmm.